0: Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast, and as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. What do you think the historians are going to say or write that has happened in the last two years? what are people going to say from 2020 to now 2022 what would they say because it seems like that there's if you're outside looking in there's a lot of unrest a lot of disruption a lot of things going on and you know you could say that we've got impacted globally nationally individually you know we've been impacted from we're talking from the the sickness to the shutdowns and it seems like that we are in unrest individually too. And and when you go even back to this year, I mean, kids are back in school, and I've talked to some people. They go, "Man, it's ne- it was it has not been like this in a while." And they see they said that when the students came back, they were a little bit more squirrely. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's pretty easy, right? You just get up, you turn on the Zoom. You you can turn it on or off. You can do whatever you want to do. You don't really have to go to school, and and that's just the way life is. And and so it's kind of hard to get back into a routine for students. It's a hard get to, for us to get back into a re- routine. The other thing is, did you know this, that more pastors than ever resigned? And more churches shut down in the last two years than they have. They call it the great resignation. And so pastors who wanted to get out, who couldn't get out, were so overwhelmed and so stressed about the shutdowns and everything that happened, they think, "Well, we just can't do it. We're just going to resign. We're done. And then you have people just resigning to working remotely, right? I mean, you don't have to stay in a, in a state that you don't particularly like. Now you can r- work remotely. And so now you have people who, who are looking remotely up for uh, remote jobs, they're looking for uh, other places. You can just can you just kick off the last two? That's just too bright for me. Thank you. Too bright, too bright, sorry. So anyway, so we're talking about, you know, the whole um idea, but but reality is it's unsettling for all of us, isn't it? I mean, you're still opening up two years later, and it, there's the still unsettling, and it's unsettling with our emotions. Because you look at, at things and you go, well, there's wars, and there's rumor of wars, and there's things that are going to happen. And now they're talking about... You know this and food shortages and they're talking about supply chains and they're talking about all this stuff. And you begin to look at life and you go, well, is this going to get any better? Because all I see is the interest rates going up. I see gas going up or being stable for at least a week. And then groceries are up. I mean, they said that eggs were up 16%. I mean, you gotta be kidding me! Like, what is going on? So you, there's this unsettling feeling in all of us, and there's this tension inside of us. Like, what is going to happen, and is it going to get better? And so, when you begin to do that, all of a sudden, the unsettling becomes in our emotions. Right? We just are out of, Just don't know what to think. We don't know what to do. We're kind of just in 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 this in excuse me in this place where we don't know what the next step is. And so what happens is, and what arises is, is, there's this tension, and there's stress begins to 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 be, you know, you get stressed out, you get worried, you get anxious, you get depressed, and all of a sudden, you 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 know what you know, is this that emotion, emotional exhaustion settles in, and you're so emotionally exhausted that you want to give up. And matter of fact, you're not the only one. If you felt like that, like quitting or giving up, or like a pastor who wants to resign guy by the name of Elijah wanted to resign too. When he was hit with a tough time, Elijah said, okay, God, I'm done. Would you just take me? I want to die. I want to be done. And obviously the Lord didn't take him. He said, what are you doing here? I didn't tell you to be here, but you need to go back to what I've called you to do. But there's times where we, where we feel this and we feel this a, a exhaustion coming on, an emotional exhaustion where we have stress and tension and all this stuff. But the thing about unrest is it doesn't, just does not stay with our emotions, it begins to creep into things that are in our physical lives and it creeps into our spiritual lives. And when it, when it moves into our, our physical lives, you notice that when you can say it physically uh, bothers you because when you have stress or you have tension, you know, you don't sleep at night, you get headaches, some people get health problems, you, got, you know, the list goes on and on and on because they're worried, anxious, depressed, don't know what's happening and then when you talk about the spiritual when it goes and bleeds into your spiritual life and moves into your spiritual life here's what begins to happen you begin to move further and further away from God right if I'm emotionally exhausted if I'm physically exhausted and I'm spiritually exhausted you become like Elijah where you're like I can't do this anymore and I want to give up and if you don't feel like giving up you just feel like quitting right? Not giving up in life and and exiting life, but maybe just quitting. And so you begin to remove yourself out of a great relationship with the Lord. And here's what happens. Do you know the enemy? The time, most likely time he is going to get you is when you are spiritually tired. When you're physically tired, when you're emotionally tired. And he comes at you and he begins to speak lies to you. I mean, think about Jesus. Jesus fasts for 40 days. He's hungry. What does the enemy do to him? He comes to him and says, hey, and he tempts him. And And if the enemy can get you isolated, if he can get you in a place where you're you're away from the Lord or you're isolated from believers, that's when you're most susceptible. And he comes and he tries to get you away and draw you away. So what do we do in this whole world in a situation where we feel like this is all taking place and over the last two years and, and so forth and so on? See, the good news is you're not alone and I'm not alone. Because just like Elijah, Elijah has gone through it, and there's people in the Bible who have gone through it, and one of the guys who has gone through it mostly is a guy by the name of Paul. And Paul knew what it was like to not have peace. Paul knew what it was like to have unrest. Paul knew what it was like to uh, a lot of things in his life. And for Paul, it really happened after his conversion to Christianity. Think about this. Do so You have this guy who is murdering Christians, outright enemy of, of Christ, Christians, the Lord begins to meet him, says, no, I want you to do this. I want you to spread the good news of Jesus. I want you to be the mouthpiece. And so as he begins to do the mouthpiece and, and speak the good news of Jesus, it wasn't always well received. If you know anything about Paul, Paul was in jail. Paul got beaten. If you look in the in the uh, last part of Acts, he's beaten. And you're thinking, well, what what in the world is he, is he doing this for? Because before his death, he goes throughout, you know, the ancient world and he begins to set up these churches and he has um, com- uh, you know communication with these churches and while he's in prison he begins to write letters to these these churches churches that he set up and would put pastors in and and as he's doing this he begins to write in prison and we have the the epistles and they're called letters that he's in, in prison and you have Galatians Ephesians Philippians Colossians you have all those that he writes to these churches while he's in jail and so he comes to this, this point that he's understood all this. He understands what it's like to, to not know what's going to happen next. He's sitting in jail. He's, he's doing this. He's unresting his life. And so as he writes to the, to the Philippian church, in the last part in chapter four, he begins to say this, and you probably heard it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. To which you say, yeah, okay. Like, you want me to be joyful in every circumstance, Paul. Because I don't know about you, and I'm sure his readers are like, are you serious? Well, Paul, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what he's done or she's done or my family member's done. Or you have no idea what the pain or the circumstance I am currently in. And to which Paul would say, I've been in jail. I've been beaten for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, if I can say it, if I can say rejoice and be joyful in every circumstance, Then I can tell you to be joyful in every circumstance. And so he begins to write that to his, to his, um, to the Philippian believers in the church. But then here's the other thing he says. He says, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to be generous and I want you to be kind. And when you're generous and you're kind, I want everyone to know. He says, I want it to be evident to all that you're generous and that you're kind. No matter who it is, that's what I want you to do. So rejoice, be generous, be kind. And he says, because this, the Lord is near. The Lord is coming. So even in Paul's day, he's believing that Jesus is coming back and he's close. And so you're thinking, well, okay, if if I'm supposed to rejoice, I'm supposed to be glad because God is coming, well, then, then you think that would dispel fear, anxiety, worry. Okay, God's coming back. He's going to be in control. This is the way it's going to, going to go. Okay, I, I get this. Then I can rejoice. Then I can be glad. Then I can be generous. Then I can be kind because God is coming. But as you know, it doesn't dispel the fear and it doesn't dispel the anxiety and the worry, maybe for them and maybe not for you. So if you have your Bible, I'm gonna, it's it's in a, a verse that you probably recognize. It's in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have it, you can you can um open up your open up your Bibles or it'll be up here on the screen. And he says this. So you're thinking, okay, well, if Christ is coming back and I need to do this, Paul would say this, you need to do one other thing. And it's found in Philippians 4. In the verse first part of verse 6, it says this don't be anxious about anything now you're like okay don't be anxious about anything see when you don't have to tell someone to stop you know more than once if they've stopped doing it right but he knows that there's something in the church there's something with you and I that he has to repeat hey don't be anxious about anything when you tell someone to stop usually they stop you don't have to tell them not to do it again so the believers, even though they know what they know, even though they believe and are under Paul's teaching, and they've been raised up in that Philippian church, you're thinking, okay, well, they're still anxious. They know that they need to rejoice. They know they be gentle. They know the Lord's coming back and he's near. But yet they're still worrying. And they're no different from you and I. And so what he's saying is, is it's appeal to the to Philippian church. He's saying, look, it's not a carefree life. See, there's, there's a difference between actually caring for someone and, and being generous and, and taking and looking after someone. And then there's another side where you're worrying about a situation. See, because Paul and Timothy and Timothy was with them, they were very uh, pastors who cared for people and didn't worry. They always trusted in God no matter what they were going or what they were facing. And even Jesus says this. He says, "When you worry, you don't." trust god so in the sermon on the mount he he says that so paul would say and kind of echo his words don't be anxious about anything and so he says if i don't want you to be anxious then here's what i want you to do so i don't want you to worry i don't want you to fret i don't want you to be concerned with stuff out of out of control here's what i want you to do he says i want you to do this it says do not be anxious about anything but in every situation not just some or in all situations he says by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God so he says I want you to approach God through prayer so in every situation I want you to approach him through prayer and if you look at the the life of Jesus what he said was when it comes to praying he modeled the prayer didn't he for his disciples and he modeled it for you and for, for all believers, the Lord's Prayer. And he, and he lays it out specifically what we pray and how we should pray. And if you notice anything about that, when, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he talks about in that prayer, you notice that Jesus says, I don't want you to go through the streets and tell everyone, hey, dear God, and, and sh- start shouting it out. No, there's something in that passage that Jesus says when he's talking about prayer. He says, no, I want you to go. I want you to close your door, shut the door, and speak to your heavenly Father, because there 's something about being silent and intimate with God, and so he begins to, to say this because he wants you to have communion or union with God when you 're praying it 's not for everyone to notice it 's for you to align to your heart with God and so, as he talks about this communion and this union with God in during prayer, he uses the four words, and Paul uses four words here. And the first word he uses, if you look at it, it says, in every situation, by prayer, how you approach God and in petition. Now, petition here is requesting an answer to a specific need. And let's just be honest, when we come to prayer, don't we always do this? God, I need this or I need this, but I need this done now, and I need it or I need it done tomorrow. And what we tend to do is we come to God petitioning and request a specific need. So, Lord, I need healing, or I need healing for this person. I need, you know, f- financial help. I need fi- I need you to show up in this way. And this is what I need. And so we kind of give God this long list of what we need. And if we're not careful, here's the thing with petitioning. It's what we do the most. See, whether it's for someone or yourself you always come to God in a time of prayer and you say God would you and could you do this God would you intervene could you intervene I'm asking you I'm begging of you to do something because God if you don't do something then there's going to be an outcome that I don't want to happen But see there's a problem with that always just coming and requesting to God and and we do it all the time but The problem you run into is if you do it all the time, you come to God out of just necessity. You don't really build a relationship with him. And so the relationship is this. The relationship is based on desperation and what God can do for you. So it's based on, hey, Lord, I am desperate. I'm in need of a move here. What can you do for me? And people who have a have a relationship with God like this, they kind of just like have this idea that he's this genie or something. I can just, here's my wish list, and would you fulfill my wish list? And it, it doesn't always work like that because we don't understand what God does. It says his ways and his thoughts are different than yours and I's. They're higher than yours or mine. And we don't always understand what God does when he does it. And so people who come to God and say, here, here's my wish list and here's what I want you to do. And then what happens when he doesn't do it? They get angry. And then when they're angry, what do they do? Well, it didn't work for me, so I'm just done. And they walk away from a relationship with God because they don't fully understand what he's all about, or what he's doing. Because the relationship is based on, God, I'm desperate, I'm requesting, I'm petitioning. You didn't do what I asked you to do, and since you didn't do what I asked you to do, then I'm done with you. And it's not always the case. And so Paul talks about, yeah, you can petition God, but there's something else that needs to accompany it. It needs to accompany your your request. And here's what he says. it, it It's not just a, see, the thing is, is, it's not just a give and take, give and take. It's not you just take, take, take from God. You actually have to give back. If you think about relationships, relationships work when there's give and take. Right? If someone is always taking from you, you're drained. Matter of fact, I told my wife this a couple days ago. I said, I am just emotionally exhausted. And she began to drive down deep to it. And I said, look, I just have a few friends who don't give. They just take from me. They just constantly take, and no one is giving to me in this relationship, and it's frustrating, and so I was just, I'm I'm drained. And when you think of it, it's not only us as humans, but think of it with God. He doesn't get drained, but you're thinking, well, I'm always taking from him. I'm always asking. I'm always, hey, God, I want something from you. And Paul says, you know, you can petition him, but you don't always just take something. You actually have to give something back. And so what he says is is this, he says in, in verse he would say this, he says that thanksgiving, so you petition God, right? You petition him, and then you you make your request known, and he says, with thanksgiving. So petitioning should not be the only approach to prayer. He says you, you should be thankful along with your requests. And so thankfulness should go hand in hand with petitioning God. So he says, you, you pray, you petition, and he says what? With. Thanksgiving. And see, when you begin to thank God for who he is and what he does, it kind of changes you when you're praying. So you're not always coming to God and saying, hey God, would you, could you, can you just do this for me? Please, 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 please. But when you begin to turn it around to Thanksgiving, there's something where you begin to focus on who God is and what he can do. And it doesn't matter when you do this in your prayer, but it's a good thing to thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. See, Sarah and I come down here once a week, and we pray in, in here. And I pray for you, pray for the church, pray for my kids, I pray for everything. And I just kind of say, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to, to say today during this prayer time? But the first thing I can tell you, I don't always do it because I'm not perfect. But I come and I, and I sit here and I say, okay, Lord, I thank you for who you are. And then he begins to remind me of certain things he's done in my life. and Because I know that I'm dealing with certain stuff in my life currently, but he's all, he shows me that he's been faithful in other areas of my life. So when I come to him, I say, Okay, God, I thank you that you've been faithful in this area. I'm thankful that you begin to speak to me to come here. Lord, I, and I begin to thank him. And all of a sudden, it goes off of me, and I begin to focus more on him. And, if, and it shows me that if I thank him for the good things he's done, guess what? If he's faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful of what I'm going to come to him and request of him right then and there. So, I don't, I, it's really interesting because my focus changes instead of a needs-based to God. My focus is on you. And so I begin to drill down. And so when I start to pray for my kids, He shows, he shows me things and milestones that He's already done and, and things, victories I've had. When I pray for the church, there's victories and, and, and milestones He shows me. And He begins to just say, Look, I've got this. And see, when you come to the Lord and you, you begin to thank Him, see, the focus is not always on you. You're not always just taking from Him, you're giving back praise to him you're saying hey lord i just thank you for who you are what you can do and he begins to speak to you and so when paul says that he says he says you should take that approach and it doesn't matter what when it happens during your prayer time when you're when you're concerned it says it just needs to happen you can't just paul says i don't want you to always petition god but i want you to come with thanksgiving and then he says what to make your requests known So after I I petition with Thanksgiving, then I make my request known to God. And then here's what it says. Because what you have to understand, when you do something and God promises something, he fulfills it. Sometimes we think, well, I can just sit on my hands and do nothing and God will just do something. That's not how it works. God has conditional promises. If you do something, then he'll do his part. But you have to do something. So if you come and say, I'm not going to be anxious about anything, but I'm going to prayer and, and petition with thanksgiving, make my request known to God. Here's the promise in verse 7 that God will deliver. And it says this, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the peace of God relates to the inner peace of the believer's walk with God. You have peace because you're in a relationship with God. It is impossible to have the peace of God if you're not in a relationship with God. So how do you get, we we know this, how do you get the peace of God? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It says you are justified by faith. Romans says, And when you begin to put your faith in Jesus, you you begin to have a relationship with God. And when you have a relationship with God, the peace of God can come in your life. And it says it transcends all understanding. See, we can't comprehend it. See, you can't comprehend, you can't understand this understanding. And a matter of fact, some of you have have come to this place too, where you've you've experienced the, the peace of God and it's something you've experienced and your life is kind of in turmoil it's kind of a hot mess i i I would say and your friends come to you and they say man how are you not in a in a hot like how are you so calm and how are you so peaceful like they look at your life and go it is a hot mess what is going on and you can't really explain it but this i trust god it's just god and they kind of look at you like okay but they don't understand it. They don't understand what you're experiencing. They don't understand that this peace of God is transcending all understanding. Look, that you're not concerned. You're not worried. You're not, that you're none of that. It's just, he's got it. He's got it. So you experience, you experience what he has for you. You experience the peace. You experience the faith in him. And see, when it overcomes us, you don't have to worry. And, and here's what it says it says that. He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, that's the promise. So, not only will he transcend your own uh, own understanding, you can't comprehend what he's doing, but you can experience it. But the promise is he guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he protects your hearts and he protects your thoughts. And when he uses the term guard, you gotta understand it's a military term he's talking here. Because he wants the Philippian church to understand. In those days what they would do when they were talking about guarding they would use or or the term garrison and what it meant was what you would disperse these 500 soldiers to protect something that is important protect someone or something and so they would release these 500 soldiers to protect someone maybe who is traveling they would send them to protect a city so they understood that this this guarding would happened. They, they released these soldiers. And so that's what happens with God. He says, look, it transcends all understanding. You can't really experience it. But look, he begins to guard your heart, which is your emotions. And he begins to guard your mind, your thoughts. He protects you from unrest, uneasiness, worry, doubt, anxiety. And so they understood that there was like this release of soldiers protected, something so important that God says, look, if you will give it to me, I will guard your heart, your emotions, and that's what I will do for you. And see, it's something really amazing how God does that. The all-sovereign God says, this is my promise to my children, that if you do this, if you come to me, I will promise this will take place. And so as he begins to, to say this, and, and all this, and, and we understand this, it's re- it comes down to this. And no matter what's going on and, and what's happened in life, the main thing is this, that the presence of God brings the peace of God. If you look in in Scripture, wherever the presence of God, there is peace. And and when you're talking about having a close relationship with God, when you're coming to Him in your prayer time, and you're not anxious and you're giving things up to Him, it says the peace of God will transcend all understanding. Think about this, though. It's about relationship. I can't, when Paul talks about it and Jesus talks about prayer, there's this union with God. And there's a relationship with God. And when you think of relationships, there are certain marks of healthy relationships, aren't there? There are certain characteristics of healthy relationships. So in a healthy relationship, it is marked by trust. If you're in a healthy relationship, you fully trust that individual you're in a relationship with. It could be marriage, it could be parent to child, it could be your employer, it could be whoever. But if you are in a relationship and it's healthy, and it it, What happens is is you have mutual trust. You trust them with everything. And outside of that trust, what takes place? You're honest. You're open. Right? There's this complete sense of I can be honest with this person. I can be open with this person because we have mutual trust and we have mutual respect for one another. And so when it comes to relationship with God, it needs to be growing and it needs to be healthy. And see, if we want the presence of God, if we want the peace of God, we need his presence. See, if you want the peace of God in your life, you need his presence. And it's marked by a close relationship with him. And it needs to be a healthy, growing relationship with him. And if you're growing and it's healthy, look, it's going to be marked by that mutual trust. You're going to trust God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. When you begin to have a healthy relationship with God, look, you're going to be honest. Hey, God, I am really dealing with this. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what's going on in my life. You begin to have open communication with him. And it's marked with this openness. And God begins to do something in your life that you can't. It's just he begins to make this relationship better and better and better. As you begin to grow and have a healthy relationship with him and begin to come to him in prayer time, he begins to do something. He begins to transform not only maybe your situation, but he begins to transform you. So all that anxiety and that worry and that concern goes out the door because you have a great relationship and great trust with him. But here's, if we're honest with ourselves, I I would say that there are times in our lives where we'd say our relationship with God is unhealthy. That there are times where we would, if someone said, hey, how are you doing in your relationship? You'd say, ah, not so good. And the reason why you would probably say that is because life gets in the way. You know, life gets busy. And life gets tough. And you want to spend the time in prayer, you want to spend the time in word, but all of a sudden you realize that the day's passed, it's gone, you come home, and it's like, I've, all, I've dealt with all the things that are urgent, and I haven't really spent time with him. And so it's kind of this afterthought, well, then maybe I'll just right before I go to bed say, say a prayer or before dinner or whatever it is, and it's kind of like an afterthought and you're not really intimate with him. You're not really honest and open and trustworthy. It's It's as if something else gets in the way of your relationship with him. But let's just be honest. If we're going to be completely honest, those things that are urgent have consequences right away, don't they? If you tick off someone at work, there's going to be a consequence. If you tick off your wife or your husband, there's going to be a consequence right away. If you don't do something, it, it, there's a consequence. But sometimes when it comes to God and our relationship with God, we think, oh, it's not a, it's not a consequence right away. So we can just put it off. It's not really urgent. But the, the reality is, it is. There will be consequences in the long term. There will be consequences by not beginning to spend time with him each and every day. Look, if you want to do what Paul is saying, it's marked by a great close relationship with him. You begin to petition, you begin to pray with thanksgiving. And then here, here's the other thing, it's it's our relationship can be unhealthy because we focus on the problem and the things of the world. See, I don't know about you, I don't know what kind of person you are, but there are two types of warriors. There are people who worry And don't say anything to anybody. They're very stoic with their emotions. Right? They go to work and they show there's nothing wrong with me. And then they come home, there's nothing wrong. Their spouse, their kids know there's nothing wrong. But then all of a sudden, they are in their bed and they're thinking about their concerns. They're thinking about, well, I just am concerned about this, this, and this. But they don't tell anybody. But they're still worriers. And then there's others of you who worry and everybody knows it. Right? It's like worry is written on your sleeve, like your emotions are on your sleeve. And everyone knows your problems and your circumstances and you're just worried. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. Look, it doesn't matter if you are stoic when you worry or if you show everyone that you worry. Here's the thing about worry. I wrote this. We let our thoughts drift towards the things of the world. Here's what happens. You become worried and anxious doesn't matter if you hold it in doesn't matter if everybody knows when you worry your thoughts drift towards the things in the world and you become worried and anxious and what happens is this when you begin to do that your problems become bigger than your God and that's a problem because God is greater than your biggest worry God is bigger than your anxiety. He is bigger than any, anything that you're facing. So what, what he begins to say is, so if I have my thoughts on the things of the world, then where do I need to focus my thoughts? And Paul would say, "Well, well, let me, let me explain to you. So in verse eight, here's what he says. He says, I want your thoughts to be focused elsewhere. And he tells us to, where to put it. So in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, he says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So he lists these eight aspects of a virtuous life. And he starts off with whatever is true. Right? Whatever is valid, whatever is reliable, whatever is honest. He says, I want you to think on those things. Because look, we said last week, if you know the truth, the truth will set you and you're thinking about on the on what is true look you don't fall for the lies that the enemy wants to place in your mind so whatever is true he says this he says whatever is noble it speaks of worthy of respect and then he says whatever is right right according to who according to god's standards so whatever is right according to god's standards not just just and fair But what is right according to God's standards, you should think on these things. Then he says, whatever is pure, whatever is morally pure, not impure. And we've all had this problem, haven't we? Someone's gone up to you and you said, I've had impure thoughts. That's what he's saying. He says, you need to focus on what is pure, what is morally pure. And then he says, whatever is lovely, it's it's peaceful and not Conflict. And whatever is admirable or winsome, something that is positive and not negative. And for some of us, that's difficult because we're people who see the glass half empty. We always look at negative situations, but he says, I want you to look at what is positive. And he says, if anything is excellent, and excellent, they thought that it was the greatest virtue of all. Whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, he says, think about these things. So no matter how difficult it is for us to think like this or do this, Paul urges us to do so. And he says this, those who have union with Christ, who have a close relationship with Christ, he transforms their thinking. And when he transforms your thinking, that's kind of the theme that if I, if I begin to transform my thinking, then he begins to put my thoughts in, and, and I begin to have the mind of Christ. And so he begins to transform you and transform us. And transformed living leads to transformed, excuse me, transformed thinking lives to transform living. And those who acknowledge these, these virtues, who think on these things, guess what? You begin to move and it begins to be your focus of your action and it begins to be the focus of your lifestyle. You move in that direction. And you move in that direction, and as we do that, again, it's not just the goal for the Philippian church, it was the goal for all believers, that Paul would say, that I don't want you to be anxious, I want to transform your thinking, think on the things of God, and look, it will transform your life. And as it transforms your life, see, when you think rightly, guess what? You will live rightly. Say that again, if you think rightly, you will live. Live rightly. And for some of us, that's a challenge. Because with everything going on in the world and everything in our lives, it's hard to think on the things that the Lord wants us to think on. It's hard to have the mind of Christ. It's hard to not be anxious. It's hard not to worry. And see, for some of you, you're you're in this place today, and you're thinking, I I yeah, you're urging me to think rightly and live rightly. But for some of us, you're in here, and this is what you're thinking. You came in and thinking, Well, I have this situation. And I don't, I'm, I'm thinking of what's my next step. See, if you're anything like me, when I'm, when I'm faced with something or faced with a circumstance, I go, well, here's my option A. And if option A doesn't work, I'm going to go to option B and then I'm going to go to option C. And so we try to formulate what we should do in our mind. And so if some of you, you're in a circumstance right now where you're trying to formulate a plan. What is next? And there's some of you in here who, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can tell you this, you're losing sleep over it. Something's got you so worried, so concerned that you're losing sleep. You're actually not sleeping well. And then you get up and you take that loss of sleep and you try to go to work and you're unproductive. And you know what else? You become short and crabby with individuals. Individuals. Because you're so concerned you're losing sleep over things and look here's what what needs to what needs to happen As your thoughts go your life goes And in order to get the place where God wants you to have peace and where he wants you not to be concerned You have to begin to think on these things and think rightly and and here's What happens the situations will begin to change and your life will begin to change And when you begin to think rightly and you begin to ask God What's he going to do? He gives you peace. When peace comes, unrest disperses. Worry disperses. Things disperse. All those things disperse when the peace of God comes in your life. So I don't know what you're worried about. I don't know what you're concerned about. But here's the thing. When it comes in, it changes you. And and Constantly, what you're stressing about, here's what I put. It'll go into the shadows. And it will disperse. But here's what I've dealt with and maybe you've dealt with. So I'll be worrying about something. I come to the Lord. I'm like, okay, God, I give it to your hands. I give it to you. I'm not concerned about it. This is what I'm doing. This is my challenge. Then about five minutes later, I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? And my wife goes, what is your problem? Like, why aren't you praying? You're like a pastor. And I go, but I'm just a person. Like, I, I have this tough time where it's just, it, it goes for a while and then it comes back. But can I tell you this? This last week, I just said to the Lord, I was going through some, some things in, in my life with people. I said, okay, Lord, I give it to you. And I'm not picking it back up. And any time my thought of concern or worry or anxiety came in, I began to pray. And it dispelled, dispersed, and I had peace. And see, when you begin to think like that and begin to live like that and say, okay, God, I give it to you. This is what I want you to do. He brings the peace. And look, it says this, that when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet in Proverbs 3, it says. That you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Look, you don't have to be anxious about anything. There's nothing to worry. There's no concern because God has got it. But you have to begin to transform your thinking and say, Lord, I don't know what my next step is, but you do. You do. I don't know what I have, and I don't know what's going on in the world, but you see the big picture, I don't. And so, God, I'm gonna trust you with everything. I'm gonna trust you with my heart, soul, and mind. I'm gonna say, okay, Lord, whatever happens, I just trust you. And the promise is what? The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. See, there's something, there's something really to, to be said about someone's presence that changes situations. Think about that. Someone's presence changes situations. When a famous person, when someone sees a famous person in public, everything changes, doesn't it? When kids walk into a classroom and they go, oh, we got a substitute, things change. And when you're hurt, whether you're a child or you're an adult, your mom changes it, doesn't she? Because moms bring compassion and they bring comfort like nobody else can. They change situations and it's true of god that his presence changes situations it changes circumstances it changes things and what i put here is when when you are in the presence of god things change Think about it. When you're in the presence of God, look, you begin to say and come, okay, Lord, I thank you for who you are and what you do. And then I ask, guess what? God will begin to speak to you clearly. The more time you spend with him, the more time you're honest with him, the more time you trust him, God begins to speak to you clearly. God, I need wisdom for this decision I need to make. Guess what? He won't withhold wisdom from you. Things begin to change when God's presence is evident in your life. Things change so here's my here's my question to you what are you worried about what's the unrest in your life what's the concern you have do you have a concern for someone else are you exhausted are you emotionally drained physically drained spiritually what is it all I want to say to you today is this do what Paul asks Don't be anxious. Pray and think on what is right, pure, lovely, and let the peace of God guard your heart and mind. Because when you have the presence of God, it brings what? The peace of God. So I encourage you to continue to speak to him, continue to let him change your situation, and eventually what? Change you thanks for listening and if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person you go to basinchurch.org and as always we hope this content helps you on your faith journey